Welcome to another captivating episode of the Be Cool Podcast. In today's episode, we have a truly inspiring story to share with you. Get ready to be motivated and learn from the incredible journey of Dave, an Amazon seller who went from earning $10 per hour at Disney World to achieving a staggering $10 million in sales on Amazon. Dave's story is a testament to the power of determination and seizing opportunities from product selection and sourcing techniques to leveraging tools like Keepa and VPN we uncover these valuable lessons that can transform your Amazon business this year. Check it out. Welcome to the next Amazon Top Seller Podcast. Stay updated with the latest Amazon news and learn the nitty gritty of selling on Amazon through Be Cool's ears of expertise in the Amazon world. I'm Samuel, and I am the host of this podcast, brought to you by the fantastic Amazon experts and Be Cool. Let's start our journey to become the next Amazon top seller. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today, Be Cool has invited Dave LaCroix, who has been selling on Amazon for over six years with a total revenue of over $10 million. He is an expert in online arbitrage, and he manages his team of 15 employees as well as having a warehouse. He's also the owner of the Chrome extension called OA Buddy, which really helps you find how much stock that you can purchase for online arbitrage leads. Let's welcome Dave LaCroix, who has gained financial abundance with Amazon to our show today. Welcome, Dave. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. So Dave, before we start, you know, could you introduce yourself a little bit to those who don't really know you yet? Sure. So I've been selling on Amazon now for about six and a half years. In that time, we've done primarily a retail arbitrage and online arbitrage strategy. So now we're primarily OA with some wholesale also mixed in. And we have a warehouse with two employees plus myself. And we also have a team of verts in the Philippines and they handle most of our sourcing for our business. And then my job is basically just to approve um, the leads that we're buying each day. And so we generate a lot of OA leads. And because of that, we launched a leads list where we help other sellers on Amazon by providing them with uh, quality online arbitrage opportunities that that they can buy for their own business. Hey, so if you're listening to this audience, Dave has a lead list called the OA Leads that he has filtered, you know, with his six years of experience, extremely profitable leads. So make sure to stay till the end to find out more. Now, Dave, back to you. Is Amazon your first online business? Yep, it is. I basically got started just by Googling how to make money online and came across Amazon. I actually wanted to do private label at first, uh, but then I realized quickly that you need quite a bit of capital to get started with private label. So I started in arbitrage, just found some videos of people going to Walmart scanning things on their phone and making money with that. So that's basically what I did. And I haven't stopped doing arbitrage. I never transitioned to private label, but uh, it's been working for me because we've we've sold a lot and it's been great. Yeah, why stop for what's working? And yeah, you know, exactly. I, I was at Walmart you know, not long ago as well. And 
Now, there are so many good deals still, right? Like you could get two for uh, $5 on some of the deals. Uh, but tell us, when and why did you start to sell on Amazon? It was in 2016 when I got started. And basically, I was working at Disney World. I was in the Disney College program, which is basically a six-month internship. But I didn't really like it all that much. I was making minimum wage, like 10 bucks an hour. So I just wanted other things to challenge myself and to make more money. So I started selling part-time for about three to four months when I got started. And then by the time I was done my internship with Disney, I was making more money selling on Amazon than I did the job. So I was like, I'm just going to give it Amazon a shot full time. And it's really worked out for me. So you were not happy when you were at Disney? No, I didn't like it. <laughs> I was working. <laughs> but it's the for... happiest place on earth. Yeah, but not if you're working there. <laughs> I right, don't know. Right. So Some I guess... people there really like it, but it just wasn't right. for me. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So you're happier now than when you were at Disney. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's fantastic. And when you were starting and you were an intern at Disney, how much money did you start with? So for Amazon, I think I had maybe two to three thousand in my bank account. But mm -hmm. like to get started, I the first time I went to Walmart, to scan items, I maybe spent a $100. And then within the first month, I probably put in a thousand dollars in inventory. But so yeah, I would say about a thousand is what I started with. What was the first item that you sold that you found in Walmart? I believe it was, I can't remember the name of the brand, but it was some kind of lunchbox that I found there. But it was like, I think Arctic cooler or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the most interesting product that you sold that is profitable, that was profitable? Man, that's a tough question. So we've sold a lot of stuff over the years. I would say, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't think of one right now that's like super interesting. There's just too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're well, all over What type the place. of products? What type of products do you sell? Because there's a lot of different types. Like now, um, what kind of products do you sell? The biggest category that we sell in is beauty. Okay. So like topicals, like beauty products, like skincare, makeup, lipstick. Uh, we, we started doing some fragrance recently, which is usually hazmat, but we everything in the beauty category other than like tools. So we don't sell like combs or anything like that, but pretty much anything that you put on, uh, we've sold it. For picking different products, which categories do you recommend people to sell in in 2023? Just like for beginners, you mean? Yeah, for beginners. Yeah, they're entering in. What are the easiest categories to get in? A lot of people will say to start off in books just because, especially if you don't have a lot of capital because they're really cheap. So you can go to a thrift store and get like, you could get 50 books for 50 bucks and that, and you're going to sell them as used. But if you're starting with limited capital, that's a good way to go. And the ROI is typically higher on books. But there's a closing fee for books, right? I'm actually not sure. We didn't start with books, so I don't know exactly what the fees are. But I just know if you, um, you get good bang for your buck with the buy cost versus what you can sell them for. If you have $1,000 today, what would you, and you're starting out, yeah. what would you purchase? I would probably go with something in the beauty category. If you do have that $1,000 to start, then I that's just like the category that I know. But if there's like a category that you're familiar with, say you're a toy collector, you collect Funko Pops or something like that, then maybe 
you have some knowledge about that and you it's a good idea to start with products that you know. So when you first started, what kind of difficulties did you face? So at first, probably just having like the conviction to buy more products. So I remember my first Q4, I was just like trying to decide whether or not to keep spending money because I didn't have like that proof of concept yet that what I was sending in was going to sell. But as you get more experience, you start to get actual sales data other than just a projection. So say I sell something 100 times in a month. Now I know if I want to get another month of supply, I just buy 100 more and try to keep that in stock. So just getting gaining the experience is like the biggest challenge right away because you don't really know how fast something is really going to sell. And how do you overcome those difficulties or those challenges, knowing how many products are going to sell for a specific item. The only way to overcome that is just to do test buys and go out and buy the products and send them in. And like you can watch as many YouTube videos as you want to learn, but until you actually go out and do it, you're not going to gain that valuable experience. So you really have to get your hands dirty, as would say, like you actually get into yeah. the game, get into the skin, try it out, do a pilot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yep. So tell us, Dave, can you describe a day as an Amazon seller right now for you? So usually I'll get up when I start working and I'll do my emails first. So sometimes that's stuff for clients on the leads list, or also I've been reaching out to a lot of wholesalers, distributors. So sometimes I'll have to answer those. Then I'll usually review the leads that my VAs send me for our because they work at night while I'm sleeping. So then I have leads to review in the morning. So I'll look at those. Sometimes I'll make a couple purchases. And then after that, I'll usually do wholesale sourcing, which is reaching out to new distributors, or I'll just do whatever else pops up. So could be planning for other projects that I have or something like that. So tell us for you, what is the secret of your success in Amazon, like the consistent growth? throughout the years. Just being consistent with sourcing products is really like the main key because the more inventory that you can buy, the more that you can sell on Amazon. It's a really simple business model, but it's really hard to execute. So <laughs> being able to purchase more is like the main input that you want to focus on. If you have like a sales goal, you can actually reverse engineer it and see, okay, I spent 30k to sell 70K in revenue. So if I wanna to get to 140K revenue, then I gotta buy 60K of inventory. So it's all about just increasing your inventory spend. So for example, uh, if I wanted to make an extra $1,000, I probably have to you know, sell three or $4,000 of uh, inventory. And then I would have to divide that by let's say 30 days. That's going to give me how many items I need to sell. And then, then that tells me how many products that I should purchase. Is that what you mean? Yeah, pretty much. So usually like our cost of goods is somewhere around 50% of our sales. So if you spend 5k, then you're probably going to do about 10k in sales off of that. And then whatever your margin is, so say your margin's 10%, then you just made 1000 in profit. Okay. Okay. And what tips can you give for product sourcing when you're looking for products to sell? 
What are the criteria? We usually look for, it kind of depends on how fast the product is selling. So if something sells really fast, we'll take a dollar profit, for example. Say it's a product that we buy for a dollar and then profits a dollar, but sells really, really fast and we'll thousand of them. But if it's a product we pay a hundred dollars for and it only sells once a month and it's a dollar profit, that's not a very good product. So there's not really a set criteria. It's more just looking at the trade-off between profit per unit, ROI, and the velocity of the item. Do you mind showing us a quick demo of how you would use Keepa? Um or other software to use pro for product sourcing? Yeah, I can do that. So this is Keep a Product Finder. And uh, this is one of the main ways that we source in our business. Uh, so you go to just the Keep a website and go to data, then click on Product Finder here. And what this allows you to do is look for products that already meet your criteria before we actually look for where to buy them. So it's a way of reverse sourcing. I'll just run an example here of one way that we might set up our filters, but there are different ways that you can do it. This top filter here is sales rank. So we might put in a minimum or a max sales rank of 150,000. Why do you do that? So this will show us only products that are 150,000 or less with sales rank. Okay. And so then you don't want something this... that's over that. Otherwise, it's not, not going to be searched. It's going to be hard for you to sell that product. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be an okay. item that sells a lot slower if it's over that rank. And then under this buy box filter, we'll often use this 90-day drop percentage. This measures the price fluctuation of an item. For example, we might put in negative 50, which would be, that would mean that the buy box has gone up by 50% in the last 90 days. And then we'll do a max of 10, which means the buy box has gone down 10% in the last 90 days. So this prevents us from getting results on products that they used to sell for a lot, but the buy box price has come way down. And Got then it. there's a ton of filters you can use here. We'll set our category to beauty. And then you can actually see in the bottom right, uh, how many results we have right now. So right now it's about 205,000. And then we'll That's also use, yeah, it's quite a few. <laughs> so we'll look at this new offer count. We usually use this filter and we'll put a minimum of three new offers, which is three sellers. And the reason we do that is there's a lot of private label products that just have one or two sellers on the listing. So right. the filter will eliminate all of those products. And then say we also might not want to compete against Amazon. So this filter, which is the 90 day out of stock percentage allows you to filter out Amazon. So I could say if I put a minimum of 75%, that means it's going to show us Keepa charts where Amazon is out of stock at least 75% of the time. Right. So and you don't want Amazon to be on the listing to, yeah, exactly. to really uh, compete against you. It's, it's their platform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's not often times where we'll buy a product where we're going to have to compete against Amazon. So this helps get rid of most of that. And then you can go ahead and click find products. And then so these products here are all going to be ones that 
have a favorable Keepa chart starting out. So you can actually see it in the bottom right of my screen. So we'll just go through these and open them up and then we'll run a Google search on the products. And if we can find them cheap enough, then we go ahead and buy them. So that's basically how we do it. And there's different ways you can set up your filters to use different strategies, but this is called the Keep a Product Finder. So this is probably our favorite way to source. Well, for the products that you're looking for a price difference, uh, usually let's say a $10 item that is selling for $10 on Amazon, how much are you trying to get it for? If it's $10, we can sell it as a small and light product. Okay, um, small light, so, yeah. So the fees will be a little bit less. Probably need to get it for like 350 or to $4 okay. max. I'm not sure exactly where it would be, but we would check that with like just an FBA calculator like AZ Insight or Seller Amp. We also have a built-in profit calculator inside our software. Uh, so if yeah. you turn on a small and light listing, uh, it would use a small and light uh, fees. Yeah. So, and then they recently updated to $12 yeah, for the yeah. small light, I think in January 17th. Yeah. So uh, now there's a little bit more items that you could possibly get. And then the small light, like it's actually, the box is actually pretty big. Right? <laughs> you can feel it's like medium, it's medium and light. You know, I feel like the, yeah. the size, yeah, it's a little bit misleading. The small and light is actually the size you could actually put, put a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. yeah, you'd be surprised what items are categorized as small. And like at first I thought it was all things that are really small, but we've gotten some pretty big items into small and light. And the most important thing is just being under $12. <laughs> right. And just back to product sourcing and finding products. Are there products that you don't recommend people when they're starting to look at? Probably I wouldn't recommend starting with clothing. Uh, just because there's so many variations and colors, sizes. So it's just like an extra step with doing your Keepa analysis because there's only going to be one sales rank for the item. Mm -hmm. So basically one sales rank applies to every variation on that listing. So if you're buying a variation that's not very popular, you might think that it's going to sell at a certain velocity, but really it's not going to. That... Uh, also provides a lot of opportunity for those that are willing to do the work and look at all the variations. But it's probably best as a beginner to not start with that just because it's an added level of difficulty. So with uh, the different variations for clothing, uh, different sizes, different colors, you know, that could complicate things a little bit. And then the num and then the the number of products that it's showing being sold is actually a combination for that entire ASIN. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I, my understanding is clothing, especially shoes, actually have a higher return rate as well, uh, especially yeah. for refunds, you know, which, yeah, can, which is difficult. for. Why do you prefer to sell beauty products? I like beauty a lot just because they're higher priced. Usually, if you go for the right brands, you don't have to do as much volume to do the same amount of sales as you would for a category like grocery, for example, where most items are cheaper. And also a lot of times beauty products will be small, not technically small and light for Amazon, but small and light in that they're cheaper to ship into FBA. So we do 100% FBA. It's just nice to be able to put a couple hundred units all in one box, one small box, instead of if you're doing toys, they're going to be big and bulky or even shoes, you're 
probably going to end up paying more in shipping. Right, exactly. Yeah, for a larger item, uh, even with the preferred Amazon rates, uh, you still be paying more and fitting them in. So, what is a reasonable amount to start an Amazon online or retail arbitrage business in 2023? I think a good amount to get started with is $500,、uh, just because that'll allow you to sign up for a pro selling account and also get. A subscription to Keepa, potentially get a subscription to an on-page calculator. So there's、okay. a few of them that are all good that we've used before:、uh, RevSeller, AZ Insight, Seller Amp. Those all do the trick. And then at that point, you still have two to three hundred dollars left over to、uh, buy inventory, and that's a pretty good amount to send in a few units of five to ten items, and then you can just see how they do once they check in. And from there, you can when the items sell, reinvest the money that you get from those items. If you sell on Amazon over again, like if you you know went back to five hundred bucks, started all over again from where you are now, what would you do differently? Like, what did you learn along the way, and how, how would you do things differently now?、Uh, to be honest, there's not much that I would do different. I know some sellers they will leverage credit cards in the beginning, but I don't really recommend that unless you're just using them for the points. Because we always knew, like being in Facebook groups for Amazon sellers, that Amazon can suspend you at any time, and、like、that. that's a, <laughs> that's especially true for beginners because、uh, you don't have that sales history built up with Amazon yet. So I just recommend for anyone start to start slow and don't like put 50k of inventory on a credit card that you can't pay back because there's no guarantee that it's gonna work. <laughs> so just decide upfront how much you want to spend and then stick to that. Got it. Yeah, you don't want those high credit card fees, you know, as a new seller to、yeah. start, you know, creeping in, you know, 19%. Interest that you'll be paying,、uh, yeah, exactly. Really accumulates, right? <laughs> What are some things that you did to scale up your business? Like, how did you scale from a thousand dollars to over two million dollars? Like, where do you get the capital, for example? It's just reinvesting your profits over time. It just it compounds pretty quickly to where we're at now, where it's like almost hard to spend all of the money that we have on inventory because we're selling stuff faster than we can buy stuff now. But I'm jealous.、Um, <laughs> Yeah, it compounds quicker than you would think. So, especially with Q4 every year, that's a big boost to your sales. So we've been through six of them now, and especially in the beginning, you want to make sure you're keeping your money in the business and reinvesting as much of the profits as you can. And、uh, once you build it up, it just gets easier and easier to compound your money faster. So for your case, you know the thousand dollars. Did you have to go out and get a lot of loans? You know, or or put、uh, more money into the business, like to grow to this level that you are at now.、Like、um,、personally. no, I didn't really. I got some loans with Amazon, but I basically just did it to have Amazon have skin in the game for me to continue selling on Amazon. So、oh, I've、right. heard that. People will use it as kind of a suspension insurance. Amazon doesn't say that it'll help you in a suspension, but that's kind of how we looked at it. But we haven't had any like big outside investment or anything like that. It's just been kind of organic growth. But I、that's、mean,、really、I know、incredible. a lot of sellers that will leverage credit, and if you're okay with taking the risk, then it is a good way to grow faster. One of the techniques, if you borrow a little bit of money from Amazon, you're going to make sure that you can pay them back. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. at least enough money in the account, you know, to cover. <laughs> uh, that makes yeah. that makes sense, right? Like if you were like, uh, yeah, okay. Tell us, when did you start using a repricer? I started probably uh, like a couple months, two or three months into selling. And pretty much anyone that I've talked to, myself included, says that they wish they used a repricer sooner. <laughs> and oh, why is that? <laughs> I just know like... Okay, so if you're doing private label, maybe you don't need one if you're the only person on the listing. But if you're doing arbitrage or wholesale in 2023, there's no way you can compete without Pricer because all your question is going to be using one. I don't think there's many people that have time to be checking their price every 15 minutes. <laughs> so it's an absolute necessary tool, I would say, even if you're just going to use Amazon's free repricer. If you really are just starting and have a little bit of capital, maybe that's a better option. But we used Be Cool's uh, $25 plan for like five years to start our business. And it works out really great for us. And why did you use Be Cool repricer like at the start and continue to use it? I knew people that sold on Amazon that recommended it that was basically the main reason. And as soon as I turned it on, my sales like went way up. So I think a lot of repricers would have the same effect. But the fact that I've stuck with Be Cool as long as I have is like a testament to how good the software is. And it keeps getting better. I just updated like a bunch of my settings last week because I found out about the conditional repricing. <laughs> I probably should have done it sooner, but I switched to the AI plan like a year ago, and now I'm using the conditional rules with AI. Has it helped your business after switching to the AI from the rule base? I think it has, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard actually to like know exactly why a sale happens. And like, even if I had it on for a week, and then off for the rule based another week, my inventory looks different from one week to the other. So there's no like control group that I can measure it. But I did try like one other repricer once and I thought that Be Cool did a better job than the other one. So I have like no reason now to switch to <laughs> try out a different repricer. So why did you start using the conditional repricing. I want to do rules for different situations. And also it allows you to lower your minimum price based on the inventory age, which is really cool because we have stuff that sells right away. And for that stuff, we probably want to be on the, the profit maximizer rule. But then right. if it's sitting for another for th past 30 days, now we want to be on a more aggressive rule because that stuff is going to start racking up storage fees. And then if it sits for another 30 days, we want to start really lowering our minimum and just getting our money back and reinvesting it in new products. So Having the conditional rule just allows us to automate that so we don't have to come in and check what inventory has been sitting and lower the minimums on those manually. And using the conditional repricing, you can get faster sales because for the ones that are not performing, then it's going to lower the price. Yeah. Hopefully get the buy box more, go more aggressive, and you're able to offload some of those overstock items. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and when I turned it on for the first time, I actually started noticing some of my older inventory, like, cause I check my orders every day and I started right. seeing some items that had been sitting for a while start to move. So that was pretty cool. So how do you pick your repricing rule? Because you mentioned that for the items that sell quite well, you would use a profit uh, driven rule, like a profit maximizer AI. 
rule. And the ones yeah. that are not doing so well, you would use like the AI sales maximizer, or you might lower some of your min prices. Are there other ways you pick your repricing rules? I kind of based it on the inventory age and also how well it's selling. So I think I set it up with the conditional rule. Like if it sells, if it has more than 10 sales in the last week, then bump it up to this, the profit maximizer. And if it's only five sales, then I'll be at profit booster. If it has zero sales, I'll be at the equalizer. So yeah, it's kind of a combination of sales velocity and uh, how old the inventory is. But if it's selling fast, the goal is to extract as much profit as possible while continuing to sell it. Agree. Yeah. So the repricer doesn't only replace your product down. You could also incrementally reprice up so you could actually maximize the profit that you get for the item that you sourced. Right. And what other tools should people use when they're starting to sell on Amazon? Because you mentioned uh, three of the tools as a calculator. What are the difference between them? Which one do you recommend? I think probably, I don't know. We use both we use AZ Insight and Seller Amp right now okay. for different reasons, but you probably only need one. I would say maybe go with Seller Amp if you're brand new, because I think it does a few more things than AZ Insight does. But then the other tools that we use are uh, Keepa is definitely the most important tool. Okay. And then I would say after that is Be Cool and Inventory Labs pretty important as well because you'll be able to do shipments faster and also it allows you to input your buy cost for your items so that you know how profitable you are. Right. And for Inventory Lab, you could actually integrate with Inventory Lab using BeCool as well to pull in the cost from Inventory Lab. And yep. we're actually the first ones that integrate with Inventory Lab. Uh, and you can actually yeah. import your mins and max as well in Inventory Lab by exporting the Inventory Lab file and then uploading it into BeCool. I think very, not very many people know about that. Yeah, yep. So uh, that's also another feature. Uh, and what about the tool that you created, OA Buddy tool? Uh, when should people start using that? Well, it's really for online arbitrage. So if you're not doing OA, then I wouldn't get it. But uh, basically, it's a Chrome extension that just gives you a pop-up on a website. So say you're on target.com, uh, you'll get a, a notification. And if you click on it, it'll tell you about how much that you can order from Target before your order starts to get blocked. So a big problem with online arbitrage is dealing with order cancellations. And some websites are very reseller friendly where you can put in of orders in a row, nothing gets blocked. And other websites, if you put in more than one order or an order with more than 10 units, they're gonna cancel the order and say, flag you as a reseller. So it just gives you data to make an informed decision on how much you can order. So that way you can avoid getting blocked from those retail sites and also create a purchasing strategy around like a lot of sellers will just focus on stores that they know they can buy a lot from. So it allows you to view the full database of sites that we have and then filter which ones are reseller friendly. Just for our audience sake, like what's the difference between retail arbitrage an online arbitrage and who is it for? So retail arbitrage is when you go to a physical store. So like say I drive to my Walmart 
down the road for me and source products there. That would be retail arbitrage. And then online arbitrage is the same thing, except you're going on walmart.com. Retail arbitrage is how we got started. And I think it's a really good way to get started because it allows you to just see a lot of different products that you might not think to buy. Like there's a lot of things that you would think don't really sell that well that you'll see in store and scan it. And then it turns out it sells very well. So it's good for that. Also, there's going to be, it's almost like a geography arbitrage because you're going to be able to get stuff in your area that other sellers won't have access to. So we've actually found that the margins tend to be a little bit better with retail arbitrage because you're going to have access to a different set of products than the rest of the country, basically. So for retail arbitrage, uh, if it's geographic base, you can find some items that may not be available for online arbitrage, or maybe the store is just trying to clear and yeah. you know, you'll have access to that. And the margins are typically higher. Now for yeah. online arbitrage, uh, you might have more competitors, but you'll be able to scale up probably faster because you don't have to drive to the physical store. Yeah. You don't have to spend your gas money, which is pretty high now, you know, to, to go to the store to <laughs> find it as well. Right. So yeah, exactly. There's so it's a trade off. Yeah. So, so there is. Yeah. And there's, a, there's also a site called brickseek.com where you can find hidden clearance. So, like a few months ago, for example, we found it was like this soft soap and it was on sale at Walmart and our location only. And it was like a penny for the soap. They just put stuff on crazy clearance um, and you can find it on brickseek.com. And we sold the soap. It was like a three pack for like 15 bucks. <laughs> so, Wow, you can make some amazing. crazy money with retail arbitrage <laughs> that it, you just can't do it with OA. For Brick Seek, is that uh, Brick as in B R I C K and then Seek? Yeah. Uh, yep, you're that's looking right. for it. S E E K, Brick Seek. Yep, that's it. Okay, fantastic. So, hey, guys, you know, go to Brick Seek so you can find. <laughs> you know, the special clearance deals that is hidden, and you might be able to, you know, make $15 on an item that you get for a very, very low price. Just yep. like Dave. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what tips can you give people uh, thinking about starting their Amazon business? Just don't uh, don't get too sucked into analysis paralysis and like watching too many YouTube videos. <laughs> uh, you just got to go out there and buy some products. And like I said, you can start with just a few units of a few different products, and then learn how to send them into Amazon. So figure out how to do an FBA shipment and send them in, learn how to put the stickers on. So just read through the Amazon terms of service, make sure you're doing things by the book. And if you go from buying products to sending them into FBA to getting your first couple sales, you're going to learn more from that than like any YouTube video or course can teach you. So just getting started is my number one piece of advice for anyone that's new. And when you're shipping and packing your products in, um, how do you save money when you're doing that? Well, for FBA, uh, we can save money a couple ways. Their box weight limit is 50 pounds if you're shipping at UPS. So if you can pack the boxes uh, close to 50 without going over, then that's one way or um, what we do now often is we'll ship LTL which 
stands for less than truckload. And that's when you put a bunch of boxes on a pallet, wrap that up, and then you schedule a pickup. And you can get really, really cheap shipping if you can ship it on a pallet. So we'll send like a 1,000 pound pallet for like $150 sometimes. So you're talking like 15 cents per pound. So in general, ship uh, because they have the partnered shipping, it's typically very cheap, but there's a couple things you can do like that to save money. So Dave, I want to ask you, since you have a warehouse, so you could put things on a pallet and bubble wrap mm-hmm. it around. What if I'm just, you know, Joe Blow, I'm just somebody... <laughs> At home, like, could I could I get a pallet? You know, put all my products in, put four hundred pounds or how many pounds, and then you know, just wrap it up with bubble wrap, and then ask people, you know, ask them to pick it up for me. Like, like how, um, how does that work? Yeah, you probably could do it. I started out of an apartment, and we never did LTL until I got a warehouse. Right. But as long as you have like a space big enough where uh, like a big truck can get into and pick oh, up the, pallet, the loading. Right. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest challenge with it is having the space for the truck to come in and get it. But if you have like a garage or something, then it might be doable out of your house. So if I was like Steve Jobs or Michael Dell, you know, <laughs> and I have a garage I could use, then I yeah. could theoretically, you know, have all my products there and then a forklift could come and get that. Okay, I get it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Or um, you could use a prep center too. And most prep centers can probably do LTL. You'd probably have to check with them first though, because I think they, a lot of them will just automatically ship your stuff UPS. So you'd have to ask about that depending on the prep center. So when should you use a prep center? Because don't you have to pay like a prep center a dollar fifty or more than that? Yeah, we use one still because of sales tax. Uh, our prep center mm. is in a sales tax. So if something costs twenty dollars and we're buying it OA, we're gonna pay about a dollar fifty sales tax on that item. So we're better off just sending it to the prep center and they can prep it for a dollar fifty. So the sales tax savings actually pays for the prep. So we save money and time by shipping those items to a prep center. And then we handle the cheaper items and stuff that we buy wholesale that is tax-free anyway. Okay, fantastic. So with a reseller license, you're able to get some of those items tax-free. And then for some items you're purchasing online, you might send it to a prep center that's in a tax-free state. Yep, that's how we do it. So my understanding is I've seen some of your videos and you recommend people to use VPN. Like, why is that? It can be a good thing to do if you're experiencing a lot of order cancellations. Every website is different, but sometimes by using a VPN, it basically hides your IP address. So if you were to get blocked from a site, it might allow you to continue ordering from that site. So we use that. We use PayPal sometimes, which hides your billing address. So like when you're going to a prep center A lot of times it'll get canceled if your shipping doesn't match your billing. So that is another tip just to help you avoid order cancellations. Got it. Are you working with any VAs? Yeah. Because you said you you mentioned you're working with uh, a team of VAs. And, you know, what are some tips when you're working with VAs that are overseas? My biggest tip for VAs is you just got to be able to provide them with a lot of feedback. So it's not like a set it and forget it thing where you hire someone and then they're magically like amazing for you. You have to put in the training and then also put in the feedback so that they do things the way that 
you want them to do it because they could have experience already with another Amazon seller, but most sellers do things a little bit differently. So you're probably going to have to put in some work to do training with them and give them feedback on the work that they're doing. Got it. Could you give you an example? Like what kind of feedback, if you're bringing on a new VA to your team, what kind of feedback would you give and how would you give it to them? So they'll compile some leads into a spreadsheet each shift. And so then I would go through and I would look at the lead and say something like, uh, this lead looks good, like the profit is good on it, but we can see on the Keepa chart that the price stability isn't as good because the price dropped off a cliff like a couple months ago. And so it's it could easily happen again. So something like that, where I give them feedback about the product that they sourced and why it was good or bad so that they can refine the results for the next time that they're sourcing. Got it. Yeah. So this time, next time they source, you know, they might avoid those same mistakes. Yeah. What, what about management of the VAs? Let's say you have one guy, he brings you 20 leads. The other guy brings you like five. And then mm -hmm. how do you manage that, the quality? So that can happen just because some people are naturally better than others, but we'll try to help people that are struggling just by giving them more feedback or giving them ideas of places to source or giving them a different method of sourcing. Like some of our VAs do really well with tactical arbitrage, and then some do well with keep a product finder. Some do well with just manual sourcing. So it's just about trying to find uh, the right place on the team for each VA. Okay, so you would give them some more training if uh, they were not performing to the level that you expect and then go from there. Yep, that's right. And then we have some VAs that are more experienced and oftentimes my VAs that have been around longer will help the other ones out. So I don't always have to do everything. So that's kind of nice after you've gotten a few VAs on your team. How much do you need to pay for the senior VA? So right now it's about 425 an hour. What parts of the job can you outsource and which parts should you do yourself? So there are some things that are really easy to outsource, such as your prep. So whether that's a prep center or hiring an employee to bag items for you, uh, that's probably where I would start. That's the first thing that I outsourced. And then there's a lot of miscellaneous tasks that you can outsource, such as someone going in, fixing your stranded inventory. You could also do things like have them work with your repricer. So stuff like that is probably the next thing to source. And then after that, you can have, you can outsource your actual sourcing, which is probably the highest ROI activity that you can do. So what you're saying is you could first start outsourcing your prep and pack uh, yeah. as a first step uh, when you're growing your business. Uh, and then, then later on, you can you know, get some software, maybe repricing, maybe you have 50, 100 listings, uh, and you can start you know, getting a repricer, uh, work with, you know, then later on, uh, you would then outsource part of that sourcing. But what do you do yourself? So I'll, right now, my VAs do most of like the going out and finding products, but then I'll actually look in and decide the quantities that we're going to buy. And then just like approving the purchases. So they do most of the work, but then I just approve the final buys that we do. For the purchasing, like how, how does it work? Like they get a credit card with a limit, like you just put in like $5,000 on this credit card and they can use that to purchase or, or you would purchase it yourself. Like how does that work? Because a lot of people, they're a little bit concerned, you know, if they get out there 
payment information out to uh, to people overseas? Yeah. So we use just an employee credit card. And I know a lot of people worry about it, but you can, like you said, you can set a limit when you're first starting off. And I think you should build up some trust with your VAs before just giving them a credit card when you first hire them. Like we don't do that, but it's pretty easy to set a spend limit. And then also most credit cards are really good about fraud. So the credit card companies, they want your business. So if your VA makes a fraudulent purchase on it, I think there's a very good chance that the credit card company is going to reimburse it and just issue a new card. And then if that were to happen, we would fire the VA, but we've been doing it for years now. And to my knowledge, we haven't had a problem with that. Okay. Um, now back to you a little bit. Like, What is your favorite book or your favorite YouTuber? I would say my favorite book is It's Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. <laughs> I read that like a couple years ago. It's all about mindset and just like pushing yourself and you're basically that your mind is way more powerful than you think it is. So I heard most people only use a very small percentage of their brain power, like just three yeah. or four percent of their entire brain. So that's by David Goggins and it's Can't Hurt Me. Like that's the, yeah. that's the book's name. Okay, fantastic. What do you usually do uh, for your hobbies or during your free time? So I enjoy running. That's a big hobby of mine. I actually ran a marathon a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Uh, Congratulations. Oh, thank you. (laughs) We're running in uh, Run Disney uh, this upcoming week. It's going to be a half marathon, but it's through Disney World. So it's a pretty cool event. That's really awesome. I think running kind of clear your mind. and Yeah. uh, you know, it's very, I went running yesterday. I didn't get very far, uh, but, but it was great. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. It's a good thing to well. do with Amazon, especially cause we're like sitting behind a desk all day. So it's good to get your body moving. <laughs> I guess that's another advantage of retail arbitrage. Like you can run to Walmart, you can run to yeah. Target, <laughs> <laughs> do some scanning, uh, get them to ship yeah. it to your house if possible. Uh, so in all seriousness, like for your, where can we find you? And is there anything that you want to share with us? So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Those are like the bigger social medias that I use. I have YouTube as well, but I haven't posted on there much. And the handle is at OA deals. I love that. It's so easy to remember at OA deals. Yeah. It's going to be in the description, everyone. Yep. And then we, that's also the name of our leads list. So we have a discount code. It's going to be take 25 and that'll be okay. 25% off your first month if you want to use that. And okay. that'll also is work for, for- Is that for the OA leads? Like is that is that for the OA leads? Yeah. Yeah. That'll work for the OA leads uh, for the first okay. month or OA buddy. So it'll work for either one and it's 25%. Okay. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Thanks that. Thank you. Very appreciate that. For everybody, you know, the OA leads is actually like there's a waiting list. Yeah. the It's too popular. Yeah. So you <laughs> probably won't be able to get on it. So you, you know, go on it quickly. You know, there's only a very few that's, you know, it's very limited. It's limited to a small number of sellers. Uh, now, uh, Dave, why do people, why should people use uh, leads? Leads list. Why can't they just go and just find their own leads on Keepa and Tactical Arbitrage and, and other software or, or manually? I mean, it's good to be able to do both, but it's good to have leads coming in every day just because it's very time consuming to do your own sourcing. Like I don't do it anymore. That's why I hired VAs in the first place. And also aside from 
just having more stuff to buy is you're going to learn about new websites that you haven't used before. So you'll see which ones that we're using. And it's also going to lead to uh, rabbit trail opportunities. So say we provide an item from Vitacost and they have 25% off, you're going to see that. And then, hey, like I can go look at all the other items on Vitacost. And that often leads to way more leads than what the list actually provides. So it's kind of like a good way to start off your sourcing each day as just checking the lists and seeing where the best opportunities are for the day. For the OA leads, what if too many people sell the same product? Well, that's why we have uh, a limit on each list to how many sellers we let in. Because if we just let everybody in that wanted to sign up, it would probably tank the prices on all the items, but we've lowered it even more over the years due to feedback. And we just, we want it to be valuable because we want people to stay on for the long term and keep using it. So that's why we, we cap the list at a certain number of sellers. Thanks for being so informative and sharing your Amazon experience with our audience. Uh, and this is Dave, guys, seven-figure seller, consistently six years in the business. He has his own OA leads again, 25% off, and also a software called the OA Buddy that's going to help you. Just imagine, you know, you buy a product, you think you're going to make $1,000, and then order doesn't go through. How horrible would that be, right? So if you use <laughs> OA Buddy, prevent that from happening, get your order, I'll cover the expense for the software very quickly. Thank you for coming to our show today, Dave. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a fun interview. All right, fantastic. Uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for joining us in Dave's inspiring journey and for tuning in this episode of Be Cool Podcast. We hope you gain valuable insights and actionable advice for your own Amazon business. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay updated on the latest trends, strategies, and success stories in the world of e-commerce. Remember, with the right knowledge and determination, you too can achieve extraordinary results. Until next time, keep striving for greatness for your Amazon venture. If you sell on Amazon, don't forget to try out our 14-day free trial for a Bequal AI repricer. Find out more on our YouTube channel. We're Bequal. We keep innovating to help you stay cool with your Amazon business. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to stay connected with our weekly new episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, or any other streaming platform you prefer. Let's continue our journey to become the next Amazon top seller.